Good morning. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at the beginning of the Hostafel, which is the house rules. We'll have about three or four messages, and they're how houses ought to be set up. Today we'll look at marriage. We'll also be looking at children. We'll also look at work. These are the house rules of Colossians. So today we'll be in Colossians 3, 18 and 19. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, we thank you for your inspired and errant word. We thank you that we can learn from it, be changed by it. We ask that you would speak to us clearly, that we may know how to orient our lives, how to orient our families. Guide us, we ask, in the name of Christ. Amen. About 30 miles from Belfast, which is in Northern Ireland, there is a place called the Ward Castle. If you are a Game of Thrones fan, never actually seen it, it's known as Winterfell. It's that place. It was built in the 1760s by Bernard Ward and his wife, Lady Anne. What is unique about this castle is that it has two styles of architecture. You can see that on the left, you have a Palladian style with the pillars, kind of looks like Buckingham Palace. On the right, you have a Gothic style. Uh, Jeff Weiss earlier today said, oh, black eyelashes. No. Uh, pointed doors and windows and spires on top. So the front is of one architectural style and the back is of another architectural style. Kind of hard to find that anywhere in the world. What actually occurred is that the husband preferred one style and the wife preferred another style. Now, I don't actually think that's that big a deal. Maybe they were going to compromise and it'll be a 50-50. That's okay. But unfortunately, this house represented their marriage. They actually couldn't agree on anything. And at the point in which this house was done, Lady Anne walked out never to return. Now, I have no idea if he was to blame or she was to blame or they were to blame. I can't tell you that, but I can tell you that their house actually represented their marriage and rather than working as a team, as a couple, striving together to advance the gospel and to spur one another on in their walks, they pushed one another away. And the result was the dissolving of their marriage. That's not what God desires. It is not his highest good in any of our lives. Now, as I thought about this topic of marriage, I thought about a true account. It took place in the life of Pastor Andy 
and he was 26 years old. At the time, he was invited to be an attendant in a friend's wedding, so he flew to Washington, D.C. As it turns out, there were six bridesmaids, and there were six groomsmen. Pastor Andy didn't know any of them, and he wasn't officiating the wedding. He was standing up in the wedding. So after the service was done, and after the reception was done, the wedding party decided they would go into Washington, D.C. to an establishment to get some food. Now, Pastor Andy doesn't really know anyone, so he's sitting with 11 strangers, and the gal next to him realizes he's a pastor, and she's upset with the wedding service. And so she says, Pastor Andy, in a real loud voice, in Washington, D.C., a bastion of conservatism, Pastor Andy, the preacher said that the man needs to lead in the marriage. Otherwise, it's a two-headed monster. What do you say? Now, I have no idea what Andy was drinking, but he wanted to double at that moment. (laughs) Every pastor wants to answer that question in Washington, D.C. to 11 strangers and an entire restaurant that is now listening. But Andy said, you know, before I answer your question, and I'll answer it, I want to ask you a question. It's kind of a long one. My question is this. Would you like to meet a man who treats you like you're the only one in the world? Would you like to know that this man would die for you? That he would never step out of the marriage This man will lead, but you guys will discuss everything. You'll pray about everything. You'll seek God's will together in everything. He'll lead, but it's always for God's glory and your best interests. And he'll do anything for you. He cherishes you. Would you like to meet that guy? And she responded, yeah, I would. I would like to meet him. And everyone laughed, and Andy had already made his point. He really didn't need to say much more. Because when we talk about biblical leadership and we talk about biblical submission, there are two parts that work simultaneously together, and that's the picture that God gives us in Scripture. Now, when we talk about biblical submission, which I'm going to do today, it's very possible that you are already put out. And I'm going to talk about biblical leadership, and you will be put out, guys. But if you're put out by submission, I think it's for one of four reasons. The first reason is you've had a really bad experience. You have been mistreated because of this phrase, biblical submission, or you've seen somebody else who has been mistreated and you have a very bad taste in your mouth. That would be reason number one. Reason number two is the one that alarms me the most. And that is that some Christ followers do not believe that God has his glory and our best interest in heart. And therefore, we believe, 
even if we won't say it. That we have the right to reinterpret Scripture or to ignore Scripture if it doesn't fit how culture defines. And so we ignore those passages we want no part of because they're difficult. That is alarming, and it will lead to spiritual bankruptcy. Third, you might be put off because this idea of submission in your mind sounds like doormat. It sounds like a mindless robot. I want you to know that those are parodies, and they have absolutely nothing to do with the biblical text. Or fourth, you don't understand leadership. And I'm going to define it right now, and we'll come back to it a number of times. But I think biblical leadership in a marriage puts God's glory first, puts the spiritual well-being of the couple second, puts the wife third. I'm not going to make the fourth point today, but I can if I had time. Puts children fourth, puts husband fifth. I think I'm going to make all of that case except for the children this morning. Let me read the text. Colossians 3, 18 and 19. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love, agape your wives, and do not be harsh with them. One of the key ways to understand Scripture, to interpret Scripture, a word we call hermeneutics, is analogia scriptura, which means that we find parallel passages to help us to understand and interpret a shorter passage. Here we have a very short passage. It's two verses. But in Ephesians, we have exactly the same content, except it's verses 21 to 33 of the fifth chapter. So Ephesians 5 actually helps us to understand Colossians 3. But I don't have time to do all of Ephesians 5 today, but I am going to do the very first verse. Ephesians 5, 21 says, Submit ye therefore one to another out of reverence for Christ. Now, it would be very interesting if you took the time this morning to quickly open your Bible or to open your little app to your Bible and find out where verse 21 is in your text. It's in one of three places. It's not the same from translation to translation. Some people, it's hermeneutical suicide. It is absolutely wrong. They put verse 21 with verse 20. That makes no sense. Verse 21 is on submission. Verse 22 is on submission. Verse 23 is on submission. Verse 24 is on submission. Verse 20 is not on submission. It is not possible unless one has an agenda. It is not possible to put verse 21 up with verse 20. That is just not possible. If you're a Brit, apologies, I'm about to take a shot at you. You are exceedingly polite and you have put verse 21 in its own paragraph. That too is not possible. Verse 21 has to go with verses 22, 3, and 4, which goes with verses 25 all the way to 33. 
It's the only way to responsibly interpret the text. It's the only way. And how does it begin? Submit ye therefore one to another out of reverence for Christ. And what is placed first is preeminent. So what the text is telling us is there may be a higher level of submission for the wife, and in fact there is, and a higher level of servant leadership for the husband, and in fact there is. But it begins with a mutual submission, husband and wife. Why? As an act of worship to the Lord, an act of reverence to God. Marriages that function well are marriages in which husbands and wives communicate one with another, make decisions one with another, get advice if needed one with another and others included, and together as a team move forward. That's the way good marriages work. It's not bossing one another around. When I was writing the sermon, probably around five or six weeks ago, I witnessed something that uh, kind of made me laugh. And I liked it because I was going to put it in my sermon. It was a mother who told her child what the child ought to do. And the child wasn't really impressed and responded, you always boss us around. You even boss daddy around. Now, in fairness, I have no idea if that's true or not. But the child was trying to find leverage because the child didn't want to do what mom wanted him or her to do. But the role of a parent is to make rules that are God-centered, that will build godly character, and then to enforce those rules. So mom was doing what mom ought to do. But the child didn't like it because, well, this is the key. Nobody likes to be bossed around. Nobody. But sometimes as a parent or a grandparent, it's our role, it's our role to instruct and in the terms of the child to boss them around. And it got me thinking. I've been pastoring for three and a half decades. I've counseled hundreds, maybe even a thousand couples. I don't know. I've, I've, couple, I've counseled a lot of couples through the years. And I have never once had a couple come in and say, we are struggling in our marriage because we, out of reverence and worship to the Lord, make decisions together. That has never happened. I have never had a couple come in and say, we're struggling because of mutual submission in our marriage. I have had hundreds of couples come in and he say, she bosses me around or she says, he bosses me around. And that has caused all sorts of conflict. Hundreds, zero. That probably tells us a little something. So what does submission actually mean? It means the same thing as meekness, actually. Strength under control. Let me read the text again. Colossians 3, 18 and 19. Wives, keep your strength under control for your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, agape, that action love with your wives and do not be harsh with them. So in the midst of the text, there is a higher level of submission by the wife. We'll talk about that in a moment. And a higher level of leadership, servant leadership, by the husband. 
So how would we define servant leadership? I think we ought to go to Jesus. He gives us a number of examples. I'm going to pick up two. The first is just riveting. You think of Jesus with his disciples. He's the clear leader, but he's more than that. He created them and he sustains them. Isn't that what Colossians 1, 15 to 20 says? So he's not only leading the disciples, he created the disciples and he's sustaining them. That's like pretty high level of leadership. And yet in John 13, he takes off his outer tunic, wraps a towel around his waist, and he washes the feet of the disciples with open sandals, not walking on macadam, but dusty roads. And this is what he says in verses 15 and 16. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. That is, we're not greater than Jesus, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent. If this is how Jesus leads, and we're not greater than Jesus, we're lesser than Jesus, this is then how we ought to lead. And in case we miss it, he says this in Mark 10, 42 and 43. And Jesus called them, the disciples to him, and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be a servant. A biblical leader is a servant. It doesn't look like this. I'm the leader of the house, so I get to decide the budget. I'm the leader of the house, so I get to decide where we're going on vacation. I'm the leader of the house, so I get to buy a new 308. I'm the leader of the house, so I get to buy a new camper and a new boat. That's nonsense. And it doesn't sound at all like what we read in the text. What does scripture say? It says that we should not lead like the unbeliever. It shall not be like that in our lives. So what are a few implications? This is my first time at it. I'll do a second set before I'm done. First, God does require mutual submission in marriage. The marriages that really thrive are the ones in which husbands and wives can make a budget together. The marriages that really thrive are ones in which husbands and wives can make big decisions together. The ones that really thrive have communication. That's just true. Two, submission is not wimpy or weak. It's not a doormat or a robot. Those are parodies. It means strength under control. By the way, the control is not the husband, it's God. She submits out of reverence to the Lord. Third, God requires a higher level of submission by the wife. I think that's very obvious by Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, but it also requires a higher level of servanthood by the husband. Both of them, not one, both. Higher level of submission by wife, higher level of servant by husband. Fourth, biblical leadership is not about getting one's way. 
It's about bringing glory to God, doing what is spiritually best for the couple, spiritually best for the wife, spiritually best for the kids, and finally what is best for the husband. That's what it looks like. I want to illustrate this. I've always been enamored with alligators. If we go somewhere and there are live alligators, I'm going to go see the alligators. I like alligators. And I've passed this along to Ray Ray, my granddaughter. She likes alligators. So these pictures were taken a year apart. So when Ray Ray was four, the one over there, she came into my office. She was at Gatorland. I wasn't there. And she had something behind her back. I could tell it was a picture that was framed. She said, Popo, you're going to be proud of me. And she gave me a framed picture. I want to tell you the story. They were at Gatorland, and uh, the person who was putting on the show said, is there any adult brave enough to come down here and sit on this gator? And nobody moved. Is there any teen that is brave enough to come sit on this gator? And nobody moved. Is nobody brave enough? And my granddaughter popped up. It so surprised my daughter, she dropped her camera into the water. And Ray ran down and plopped herself on top of the gator. So a year later, the only time I've ever been to Gatorland, we decided we would sit on the same gator together. Now, if you've been to Gatorland, you can buy little gator snacks. And if this is the water, you can be out among the water and there's all these gators and you can drop the snacks and there are a bunch of four or five footers and they go at it with one another to get the gator snacks. And they separate gators based on size because there's a pecking order, right? If there were an 11 footer in with the four footers, I can tell you what would happen if I dropped the gator snack, everybody would stay away. The 11-footer is going to get it because if you steal an 11-footer's gator snack, you become the next snack. Gators actually eat gators. It's a dog-eat-dog or a gator-eat-gator world. It should not be in marriage. It should never be a gator-eat-gator in marriage. And because it has been, I think the S word is held in contempt by many. But are you aware that this is a Trinitarian word? Hypotasso comes from hypotage, which is all over 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28. Let me read it to us. When all things are submitted to him, to the Father, then the Son himself will also be submitted, subjected to him, to the Father, who put all things in submission, subjection, under him that God may be all in all. Who among us believes that the Father takes advantage of the Son, bosses the Son around, uses the Son as his footstool in a way that is inappropriate and one-sided? Who believes that? about the Trinity. And yet this is a Trinitarian word. So however we view the relationship of Father and Son in the Trinity, that's how we ought to view the relationship of husband and wife in a marriage. 
It's a Trinitarian word. Did Jesus submit to the Father? Yes, he did. But it wasn't an abusive submission in any way. The Father and the Son and the Spirit from eternity past to eternity future work in perfect concert one with another to bring glory to their name and on behalf of the creation that they made. They always work in perfect concert one with another, not in conflict with one another. And that's the model given to us in marriage. So what does biblical submission and biblical leadership in marriage look like? First, let's remember that there's mutual submission, but there's actually something even more important. It's submission to Christ. Submit ye one to another out of reverence for Christ. So there's higher law in all of life, in marriage as well. If we have a husband or a wife encouraging the other to do something out of step with Scripture, the answer is no. Higher law is God's law. A while back, I was talking with a gal. I hadn't seen her in church for a while, and and I told her that uh, we miss her, and she said, yeah. My husband wants to fish Sunday mornings, and so out of submission to him, I am fishing. And I said, oh. I said, I think we have different definitions of submission. But beyond that, I think you are placing your allegiance in the wrong place. Hebrews 20.25 says, Do not forsake the assembly of the saints, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, and all the more as the day of Christ's return approaches. Do you know what Hebrews 10.25 says? That the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more we ought to be in church. That's what it says. So we ought to be better church women and men today than we were yesterday. And we ought to be better church women and men this week than we were last week. And next week, we ought to be even better than this week. Because every passing day gets closer to the return of Christ. So there's mutual submission, but there's greater submission, ultimate submission to the word of God. Second, the biblical text on marital submission, Colossians 3 and 5, instruct wives to submit to their husbands. I actually see nothing in the text that say, husbands, tell your wives to submit. It doesn't actually say that. It says a godly wife submits, I'm going to quote it, as is fitting in the Lord. This is her honoring the Lord through her submission. It's not him trying to kowtow her to do what he wants. I talked to a guy this week, uh, doesn't attend Highland, just so you know, uh, but wanted some counseling and Early on in the conversation, he said, you know, our marriage would be great if my wife would just submit to me. And I said, wow, <laughs> that's quite a, quite a statement. Can you put her on the phone? Oh, he didn't want to do that, but <laughs> whatever. I did suggest he, he listen to the sermon today because I think his view of submission and I think the biblical view of submission may not line 
up. Third, biblical leadership is, it's other-centered. It's not self-centered. Husbands, love, agape your wife, and do not be harsh with her. It's not about controlling. It's not about getting one's way. It's not about controlling the budget and the finances and getting the toys that one wants. And it's not about that at all. In fact, the text says that there's a higher level of submission by the wife, a higher level of servanthood and agape love by the husband. I have the privilege to do a number of weddings. And every so often, probably once or twice a year, the couple will say, we want you to preach on leadership and submission. I always ask the couple what text they want and Almost all of them steer clear of leadership and submission. But once or twice a year, I get a couple who asks that, and I say, okay, I'd be happy to do that. And somewhere in the message, after defining submission, and then I define leadership, which is servant leadership, I reach down and I I pull out a little box, and I give it to the bride, and it's got a little bell in it. Because in the old days, you could summon the servant with a bell. And I'll say to the gal, you have just agreed that if before the Lord, you cannot agree on a decision, and it really is a spiritual decision, you guys have prayed about it and thought about it, you've agreed that he's going to lead. And I'll say to the husband, and you've agreed that she gets the bell because it's servant leadership that is driven by love. Fourth, a biblical marriage is a team working together. Again, I think of how many couples have I done marital counseling with that say our problem is that we agree on too much and we work to agree on too We don't get that. It's that we boss one another around. A number of years ago, when Betty Ann and I were in our junior year of college and we're thinking of getting engaged and we got married uh, three weeks out of college, we began to talk about leadership and submission. And uh, it's convenient, she's not here. Um, But in a moment, I'm gonna get in my car and drive over to Weston and I'll pick her up along the way so she does get to hear the message. And we decided that we would talk about all things, agree on all things, pray and find biblical passages. But if we got to a topic that we could not agree on, that I would make the decision for the glory of God and the betterment of us spiritually, the betterment of Betty Ann, if we had kids, for the betterment of them, and finally for me, and that I would answer to the Lord for both of us. That was our agreement. I think it sounds a lot like this. Husband, not because I am inherently wiser or more righteous, I am not. And not because I'm always right. But in this case, I think I am or I wouldn't stand so strong. But if I am wrong, may the Lord cause me to confess to you and repent before the Lord. Betty Ann, not because I think you're wiser 
or more righteous. I don't. Not because I think you're right. I don't or I wouldn't stand opposed to you. But because this is what I have agreed to. So we'll go in the direction that you desire. If I'm wrong, may I confess and repent. If you're wrong, may you confess and repent. I think that ought to occur like almost never in a marriage. Because how does it start? Submit ye therefore one to another out of reverence for Christ. We shouldn't be getting there. But if we get there, that's what we agree to. But I don't think it has anything to do with a budget or a truck or camper. We're better than that. It has to do with spiritual things. Where we as a family are going to attend church for the greatest growth. What we're going to do with our finances to advance the kingdom. How we're going to ensure that the next generation knows about Jesus and walks with Jesus. Those are the issues we should be talking about and agreeing on. But if we cannot agree, then those are the issues in which, as long as higher law is not violated, you go in the direction of the husband who then takes responsibility before the Lord for both of them. That's what the text is referring to. And it ought to be exceedingly rare. Exceedingly rare. What we ought to do is be pulling in the same direction, praying in the same direction, focusing in the same direction for the glory of God and the betterment of us as a family. That's what God calls marriage to be in your life and in mine. Let's pray. Father God, uh, like so many passages, easier to talk about than to live out for all of us, and easier to act like we just should always be in agreement when that's not always reality. But Lord, help us to take the next step in our marriage relationships towards unity, and not to lose sight of what's really important. They're spiritual things. They're kingdom things. May those be the areas that we have our greatest agreement, our greatest dialogue, and work hand in hand. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.